On Thursday, my son Andrew will turn 11 months old, and uh, one way that he adds joy to our family besides his high-pitched screaming is his balance, his balance. He's at the point where he can stand pretty well uh, on his own, and we love to watch him balance and just stand there. It's a simple pleasure, I know, but it's cool to see the gift of balance developing in Andrew, and I think walking is, is pretty close here. Balance is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. I mean, aren't we thankful that we can balance? I'm thankful that that I can balance. Balance gives us the opportunity to do a lot of cool things like extreme parkour, if you wanted to do that, which I'm guessing none of you have tried that. Parkour, if you don't know what that is, is basically navigating complex terrain without equipment in the fastest, most efficient way possible. So running, jumping, rolling, climbing. Extreme parkour is doing all of that hundreds of feet off the ground uh, on different structures, including skyscrapers. Uh, it's, it's actually terrifying. I watched a video, a YouTube video this week, and it was titled, The Scariest Extreme Parkour Moments Caught on Camera. And while I was watching it, I could feel it in my hamstrings. I mean, it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. In some cases, guys are hundreds of feet off the ground, and they're hanging off the sides of buildings and and doing one hand down and balancing right at the side of the building and jumping from one building to the next building, way off the ground. And, And if they lose their balance, they're dead, flat out dead. Sometimes their launching point and their landing point is very, very small. So you got to check it out sometime. Look extreme parkour on if you want a little adrenaline rush there to be scared out of your mind. I think it'll make you weak in the knees. But parkour depends on strength, flexibility, fearlessness, agility, and without a doubt, exceptional balance. Exceptional balance. We need balance. Without it, we are in danger. For these parkour guys, the loss of balance means the loss of life. But whatever, uh, whenever talking about balance, there is something that can be easily overlooked. A solid, stable, and certain foundation. Foundation. Even exceptional balance doesn't work on an unpredictable or unstable foundation. A trampoline would ruin Andrew's balance. A gymnast on a high beam won't stand a chance if the beam is subject to random movements. Some of these parkour guys would be dead if all of a sudden their launching or landing point would wobble or crumble. Done. Yoga doesn't work on a cruise ship. In a tropical storm with 20-foot white caps going over the boat and tossing the boat around. Balance is relative to a solid and immovable surface or foundation. And life is like that. We want to be rational and sensible and stable and well-balanced people. We want to stand firm in life. We don't want to be like the yoga instructor on the cruise ship with the 20-foot white caps in the tropical storm. So we know that balance then, being well-balanced, is all important. There are two things you need to think about. Number one, are you standing on an immovable foundation? Are you standing on an immovable foundation? And number two, are you a well-balanced, reasonable, 
and gracious person on that foundation. Many people assume they are reasonable and well-balanced, but they can't see that their foundation is crumbling and about to shift, and they're going to fall, and they're going to fall hard. So here is where we have to start. Number one, Jesus is the only immovable foundation upon which we can find our balance in life. Jesus is the only immovable foundation upon which we can find our balance in life. It's, it's okay to put Jesus up against competing foundations. He always wins. And even though some people choose another foundation in time, they will see that their foundation was faulty to their eternal destruction. So let's put Jesus up against some competing foundations. But let's start with reviewing what kind of foundation Jesus Christ is. Once again, we have to head back to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11 to see why Jesus is the only immovable foundation to balance upon. Listen to this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those six verses describe for us the universal supremacy, universal sovereignty, universal lordship, and universal reign of Jesus Christ. Listen to what God said about Jesus in Isaiah 28, verse 16. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11 states, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the immovable foundation that God has chosen for us. We cannot find our balance in life on any other foundation, but let's consider some other foundations. Let's consider some other foundations for a little bit that other people put their uh, stake their uh, life upon, build their lives upon. So here are some of the popular ones. Health and physical beauty. Many people feel strong, they feel in control when they are healthy and they are beautiful, but one diagnosis, one accident can shatter the foundation of health and beauty. Wealth. Many people feel strong and in control when they are wealthy, but hyperinflation, a stock market crash, theft, reckless spending, natural disasters, even bankruptcy can shatter the foundation of wealth. Power. Many people feel strong and in control when they are in power. Last Friday, we saw the peaceful transition of power from President Barack Obama to President Donald Trump. Power changes. Power changes. Sometimes it changes peacefully. Oftentimes, it changes not so much, not so peacefully. After being named dictator for life, Julius Caesar arrived for a Senate session and was stabbed 23 times by mutinous senators and died in a pool of his own blood. The foundation of power can be shattered in an instant. Fame. Many people feel strong and in control if they are well-known. 
Uh, this will connect with some of you. Others, you'll be like, what? But anyway, looking back on the fame of 80s teen idol Corey Haim. Anybody? Okay, a few. Corey Haim, VH1 ranked him number eight on the greatest teen stars list. But Corey Haim failed as an adult actor, was addicted to drugs, went bankrupt. Oddly, he even tried selling one of his teeth and some of his hair on eBay to make some money. Another 80s teenage heartthrob, Corey Feldman, you might know that name as well, commented on the entertainment industry and Corey Haim. This is what he said. We build people up as children. We put them on pedestals, and then we decide that they're not marketable anymore. We walk away from them. Then we taunt them and we tease them. Why is it okay to kick somebody when they're down? What happens when the groupies don't group? The foundation of fame is so easily shattered. Love, this is a big one. Many people feel strong and in control if they are loved, but experience alone tells us that betrayal is common. Parents abuse their children. Children despise and resent their parents. Spouses commit adultery. Divorce wrecks families. Best friends become enemies. The love of others, it is so, so wonderful, but it's inconsistent at best. The foundation of love can shatter. Education. Some people feel strong and in control with degrees and honors, but college debt can debilitate, and a degree doesn't guarantee that someone will be hired. Unemployment and underemployment are very real issues for graduating college students. The foundation of education will shatter. Religion. So many people feel strong and in control if they are doing good things for God and they're doing good things for other people, but religion does not equate to a close relationship with God. And religious activity is often entirely self-focused. And therefore, God hates it, God rejects it, God despises it. The foundation of religion will shatter. I could keep going. We could just keep picking apart all these other foundations. But what I think is at the core of the foundations that compete with Christ is self. Self. People want to stand upon themselves. Humanism is the predominant view. Humanism says Forget God. Look what humanity can do. Look at us. Look how great we are. Humanism is, is our culture. And in Luke 6, 46 through 49, Jesus told a wonderful little parable that shatters any foundation that competes with him. He just, boom, drops it and ends it. So listen to what he said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Great ruin. 
There is only one unshakable foundation which provides us the stability, the balance, the security that we crave, Jesus Christ and his word. Remember where we started two weeks ago. Jesus is the basis of our deep affection for one another. Jesus is the basis of our standing firm. Jesus is the basis of our agreement and unity. Jesus is the basis of our reconciliation. Jesus is the basis of our call to help one another heal. Jesus is the basis of our eternal citizenship. Stand firm in the Lord is the only way to stand firm. Last week, we added rejoicing in the Lord, and so it it would obviously be correct to say Jesus is the basis of our rejoicing in the Lord, and so it obviously follows suit that today, it would be Jesus is the basis of our reasonableness or balance or graciousness. If you want to stand firm, you must be a reasonable, gentle, gracious, and well-balanced follower of Jesus Christ, which brings us to number two. God commands us to be gracious with everyone and will help us do it. God commands us to be gracious with everyone and will help us do it. Paul said in verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You must obey this to stand firm. You must. You will not stand firm unless other people experience the graciousness of Christ in and through you. You will not stand firm until that happens. Now, I need to tell you up front, the Greek word for reasonableness, epia case, is very difficult to translate into English. And yet, this word is central to the command, so we need to understand the word and know how to apply it. So, I want to break down this second point into three subpoints: the definition of reasonableness, the scope of reasonableness, and the hope of reasonableness. First, the definition of reasonableness. John MacArthur said that the Greek word epia case means more than any one English word can capture. So we're going to need to see multiple words contributing so that we understand what, what Paul was really getting at here. Dr. William Hendrickson translated FBA case as big-heartedness. I like that. And uh, Dr. Hendrickson said this about the word. For big-heartedness, one may substitute any of the following. Forbearance, yieldedness, geniality, kindliness, gentleness, sweet reasonableness, considerateness, charitableness, mildness, magnanimity, generosity, So again, we need multiple English words to to best grasp the the extent of this command. Translators have to pick a word. So whatever translation you have, they've picked a word to put in there, but that is tricky to do. The ESV chooses reasonableness. The NASB chooses gentle spirit. Uh, The HCSB chooses graciousness. And the NIV and NKJV choose gentleness. So you can see that, that the word is difficult to translate, and it's... Um, it's a little dicey. So one lexicon uh, translated verse 5 like this, let your friendly, well-balanced character be known to all. So Christians should be the most well-balanced and joyful and big-hearted people in the world. Why? Because Jesus is at work in them. Jesus is at work in them. So let's dig into just four words or characteristics that we should have because Jesus is at work in us. Just trying to define this for you better. Reasonableness, gentleness, 
considerateness, and graciousness. Other people must experience these things from you for you to stand firm. Reasonableness. Jesus is the most reasonable person alive. And so his followers need to practice his reasonableness. We need to think rationally and respond fairly to things. We need to discern things by the scripture. We should not be extreme or excessive or over-emotional. We should have sound judgment in all things. We need to be well-balanced, even patient with others. Over this past campaign for the presidency, you have heard sensationalized, over-emotional, and excessive claims. Just spewing out. Christians, on the other hand, should be the most reasonable people around to show that reasonableness to our culture. I have been, on occasion, unreasonable with my children. Amen, guys? All right. They're quiet, I guess, but they agree with me internally, I think. And I can see how my reasonableness exasperates my children. My children love me. They respect me. They try to obey me. But if I'm unreasonable, I drive them away from me, and I drive them away from Christ. I want to represent Christ for my children. We stand firm when we are reasonable people. Gentleness. Jesus is the gentlest person alive. And so, as his followers, we need to be gentle like him. We must be honorable and kind. We must not be harsh or cold or violent. We should be moderate and and modest. Dr. Dennis Johnson said that gentleness is a better translation than reasonableness. He said, quote, the term refers to the calm and kind disposition that enables a person to offer a nonviolent, even generous response to others' aggression. End of quote. I love listening to Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias, uh, certainly because of his intellect and his wisdom and his eloquence and his rationality, but also because of his gentleness. He speaks in many secular and hostile environments, university campuses. I think he was with some Russian big wigs of government. I mean, he goes into some very interesting places, and yet he shows such gentleness in his well-reasoned approach. He's a gentleman, even though those who oppose him might come pretty hard. Dr. John Lettix, uh, he is the professor of mathematics at Oxford University. He's the same way. He's such a gentleman when he encounters atheists and talk with them. And, and it's such an attractive trait to see in these men. I, I'm drawn to it. I, I love it because I don't necessarily have it, um, and I'm seeing God produce that in them. Harshness is natural. Sarcasm, callousness, uh, um, anger, those are natural, but gentleness, gentleness comes from Christ alone. Gentleness shows you the heart of Christ, and it showcases the glory of Christ. We stand firm when we are gentle people. Considerateness. Jesus is the most considerate person alive. And so as his followers, we need to practice his considerateness. We should always be mindful of the rights and feelings of other people. We should not trample on people. We should not ignore people. We should respect people, honor people, put the needs of others ahead of our own. I think manners and chivalry are a part of this. Where is chivalry? 
My goodness, we need to be patient people. When we moved back from uh, Pittsburgh to Lancaster County, a whole group of people came out to help us move. That meant something. My mom and sister, they often come and they keep our children so that Christine and I can go gallivanting around Lancaster County together. I've seen our elders work through some, some very hard things. Very hard things. And I've seen them put the interests of others first, to consider others first before their own comfort, because it gets messy sometimes in the church. You'll like this scary story. Uh, Years ago when Christina was in Tanzania and was headed to Kenya to fly uh, out of Nairobi, she had an escort with her, and she had planned to travel alone, but the doctor that she worked with very helpfully uh, lined up an escort for her, And so Christina and the escort were in this little town in Kenya making a switch between buses. And some guy in a taxi jumped out and grabbed Christina on the arm and uh, and said, she's coming with us. And the escort grabbed Christina's other arm and said, no, she's not. And I guess that ended it right there. You see, considerateness is sometimes bold. But it puts the focus on the interests of others. It is selfless graciousness. Jesus is the most gracious person alive. And so his followers, as his followers, we need to practice his graciousness. Our lives must be marked by grace, kindness, forgiveness, tact, good taste, mercy, compassion. The generosity of Jesus should just continually flow from us. John MacArthur prefers the term graciousness over reasonableness and summarized it like this. This refers to contentment with and generosity toward others. It can also refer to mercy or leniency toward the faults and failures of others. It can even refer to patience in someone who submits to injustice or mistreatment without retaliating. Graciousness with humility encompasses all the above, end of quote. Epia case means graciousness with humility. How do you respond to the faults and failures of other people? Do you gripe and complain and hold grudges? How do you respond when others mistreat you? Do you retaliate? When someone attacks you for no good reason, how do you respond? If you love Christ, then you must take God's commandment here very, very seriously. He wants you to be reasonable gentle, considerate, and gracious people. Responding in reasonable, gentle, considerate, and gracious ways. When you do, it glorifies God. Are you a gracious person? For the glory of Christ, brothers and sisters, are you a gracious person? You know what? Let's even better Would others say that you're a gracious person? 
You might be sometimes, but it might actually be a selective graciousness. You might know what I'm talking about. Think of all the people in your life who annoy you and aggravate you and infuriate you and get under your skin. Are you gentle and gracious with even them? You may blame them for your your unreasonableness because, after all, they're the ones being unreasonable to you, and so you're just going to be unreasonable to them, and you blame them. How far, this is a legit question, how far does God want our reasonableness to go? Who should we be gracious with? This brings us to the scope of reasonableness. The imperative of Paul in verse 5 essentially means make sure people know about your graciousness. Make sure that they know. People must sense your graciousness so they can experience the graciousness of Jesus in and through you. This is not an option for you if you love Christ. You don't get to choose this one. You will either be faithful or unfaithful. And notice how far our reasonableness should reach. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And if you look at the Greek, you could say to all mankind or to all humanity. Who should experience our reasonableness? Our best friends and our worst enemies. Uh, The people who praise you and encourage you and cheer you on and and, uh, are your best friends, they should know your reasonableness. They should know. It's relatively easy, though, to be gracious with those people. But God also desires us to be gracious with those who oppose us, contest us, contradict us, hate us, and work hard to make our life a lot harder than it seems like it has to be. Those people. And it's so interesting. If we are to stand firm in life, to really endure with strength, We must be gracious with our worst enemies. We must. Otherwise, we're shaky. We're shaky. You need to read Luke 6, verses 27 through 36 sometime. Write that down and study that this week. Jesus unequivocally stated, love your enemies. Which certainly includes being reasonable and gentle and considerate and gracious with them. And if you do, Jesus promises you this, your reward will be great. Don't you want that? Don't you want that great reward? Do you realize, my friends, my brothers and sisters, how important it is for you to be reasonable and gracious with everyone When you show graciousness to everyone, you make a statement about the glory of Jesus Christ. You make a statement about his amazing reasonableness and graciousness. And through your reasonableness and graciousness, you show Jesus to be beautiful and and gentle and kind and reasonable and great. And if you're a professing Christian and also an argumentative, aggressive combative and cantankerous person who is tough to handle, you lie about Christ. You insult and slander and disparage his name and reputation by being unreasonable and you do something more. You make a bad name for yourself. And if that's you, I plead with you. Even if that's not you, it doesn't categorize your life, but you see these these, these strains of it in your life where you, you become this. 
then, then my, my suggestion is that you humbly repent of your sin and trust Christ and stop being unreasonable for his glory alone. You can't claim to belong to Christ and continue to be an argumentative, aggressive, combative, and cantankerous person. God's people must be universally big-hearted. Paul told us earlier in chapter 2, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. If you do that, that one little simple verse, chapter 2, verse 4, you will be a reasonable person. You will be a gracious person. You will be a kind and gentle person. So the scope includes everyone, and that's really, really hard to do. Come on. You've got to be with me on this. I don't feel like it. I feel like giving it to people. Give them the old boot, right? Boot of God's work. Boom, just kick people down. You hear what Jesus says about that? Bam. And um, that is a wickedness in me and in you. What hope do you have and I have to be this way with people? <laughs> what on earth? Brothers and sisters, Christ is our hope. Christ is our hope. On to the hope of reasonableness. If you're listening carefully to verse 5, I bet you'll be able to see where our hope is found. Listen to it again. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. What does it mean that the Lord is at hand? At hand means near. And it could mean one of two things. And the word is used in both of these ways in the New Testament. Number one, the Lord is near in proximity. Or number two, the Lord is near in time. So on the one hand, Jesus is always with us. He sent his spirit to dwell in us. We walk by his spirit. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Paul could be reminding the Philippians that Jesus is with them. His presence is with them to help them be reasonable people. It could mean that. And on the other hand, the return of Jesus is soon. He's coming back soon. The return of the king is near. It's at hand. James said this in his epistle. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. His coming is soon. This gives hope and comfort when people wrong us. God's justice and judgment are near. That is hope for the maltreated. Because Jesus, the King, will come and He will make it right. He will make all things right. So be reasonable. You see, it could be both of these things. And so what does Paul mean? Both interpretations are consistent with Scripture Both are consistent with the themes of Philippians. Both bring hope and encouragement. Both reveal the supremacy of Christ. Which is it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, But why couldn't it be both? Sometimes when I'm pressed with these, I just kind of say, why not both? If they're both consistent, maybe the author meant both. It seems like safe ground to be on. might not be as precise, but Jesus is with us to help us be gracious people. That's very hopeful. Very hopeful. He's your strength, not you, so just stick with him, and he'll help you do what God 
is asking you to do. But Jesus is also coming back soon as well, and we have hope that our pain will end. We can be reasonable when the world is prejudicial and discriminating because we have a promise that our Lord will return for us. So be reasonable. Dr. Dennis Johnson put it this way, Paul may intend the Lord is at hand to convey both truths. The Lord is near now by His Spirit bringing aid in our sufferings, and He is coming soon in His glory bringing suffering to an end. I think we should claim both truths. If you want to stand firm in life, you know what to do. You know what to do. When Paul said, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, reasonableness is part of how Paul explained to stand firm. You you need to make sure that everyone around you experiences the big-heartedness of Christ through you. That won't happen unless you're firmly planted on the immovable foundation of Christ. And Christ is at work in you, and you care for the word of Christ. And that dwells in you richly, and you function out of biblical truth. It's just flowing through you. Only then will you find balance in your life. Understand that God commands you to be well-balanced. And that you need Christ to be well-balanced. So it's a simple message. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Trust him to make you, to transform you into a reasonable person. We're not reasonable people. But with Christ, he is working. He is changing. He is, through others, confronting you and putting things, opportunities for you to grow and to be conformed into his reasonableness. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will work in you. To conform, to conform you to him and to create beautiful things of reasonableness and graciousness and gentleness in you. He'll do it. That's what faith does. It trusts him to work in you to do it. So let me end with this quote that I read somewhere in my study this week. And I think it's a great summary. And it connects all that I have said to your joy. And I love connections to joy. Here's the quote. The Christian is the man who reasons that it is far better to suffer wrong than to inflict wrong. Sweet reasonableness is an essential ingredient of true happiness. Let me read that again. The Christian is the man who reasons that it is far better to suffer wrong than to inflict wrong. Sweet reasonableness is an essential ingredient of true happiness. Make it the ambition of your life to prefer to suffer wrong than to inflict wrong. And your sweet graciousness will lead you into unrivaled joy in God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I need this message today more than ever. Our people, God, your people here at Jerusalem Church need to hear this message because we struggle so deeply with being unreasonable Nasty, 
combative, cantankerous people. Sure, that might not be all the time, but those situations pop up with those people, and we just want to lash out. And maybe some of us, we don't necessarily struggle with lashing out out loud, but in our heart, we are angry and unreasonable. And in many cases, instead of going to the source and the person, we go gripe and complain and tear down to someone else that we feel safe with. God, we've done this. God, I repent of my wickedness and sin in this area. I am often unreasonable. Forgive me. Forgive us. And God, may we not only show this great reasonableness and graciousness inside the church, but show it to the people who drive us nuts from our culture. Oh, God, give us consistency. Look at how Jesus was with his enemies. Wow, how reasonable was he? How gracious was he? He went after the Pharisees, but he was constantly seeking to win them with the truth. He was so gracious. He said it all right, and when I study his life, I'm like, man, I'm pathetic. This is terrible. So, God, we need your spirit to lead us, and I pray that you do a massive work of grace to make Jerusalem Church the most reasonable church on planet Earth for your great glory. God, you're going to have to do it because we can't. All for Christ's sake. Amen.